Hello, dear listeners. I want to tell you about a great podcast I've recently found and enjoyed. It's called Long Shot Leaders with Michael Stein. I like the edginess and the realism of the podcast. Stein interviews people who have overcome big-time obstacles to find success. He has top-notch guests, including Academy Award winners, ex-convicts, Holocaust survivors, sports heroes, you name it. Michael also has an interesting background. In fact, he's a bit of a renaissance man. He's an entrepreneur, a writer, an actor, a filmmaker, and a stand-up comedian. He puts all of this into the interview, including his heart and soul. So if you want to discover the secrets to why and how people do what they do, then listen in on your favorite podcast player by typing Long Shot Leaders with Michael Stein. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Uh, my guest today is Matthew Genyi. He's the founder of Flock Goods, F-L-O-C-K. A bit about his background. He was a professional elite skydiver. Very interesting. Trained with Navy SEALs. Uh, served as a flight instructor for Al Gore, Will Smith, Jaden Smith. Trey Smith, uh, Kirby Shambliss, and Tyrese, but he had a car crash and it broke his neck in 10 places, essentially decapitating him internally, which is crazy. So um, I want to hear more of his story shortly, and I wanted to introduce him. So Matt, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Richard. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, it sounds like you have a crazy story. If you would, just tell me a bit about your background, you know, how you got into skydiving, which I think is really interesting in itself. And then, you know, we'll get to the main focus of the interview right after. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, skydiving, I... No pun intended. I kind of fell into the uh, indoor skydiving or also known as uh, vertical wind tunnel training. Um, I was actually, so back up a little bit. I was a sales rep. I worked for Intercom Boston. I sold radio advertising um, at 19 years old. I was one of the youngest account executives they ever hired. And it was a rock radio station. So I was actually trying to sell the owners of this vertical wind tunnel, also known as indoor skydiving, I was trying to sell them advertising and eventually it turned into an interview. Long story short, I became an instructor about three months later and um, the rest was history. I became a, a skydiver and never looked back. Yeah, lo locally they have a place called I Fly. They have a wind tunnel and, you know, instructors will take people for birthday parties and people that just want to do lessons into the wind tunnel. And they flip all over the place and fly around. It's really cool looking. So was it a place like that? Exactly like that. Yeah, I've worked for several um, iFly facilities throughout my career in skydiving, mm. uh, indoor skydiving. I was actually an indoor skydiving instructor for about a year and a half before I ever made my actual first real skydive from an aircraft. Oh, Once wow. I did, uh, I quickly became addicted and you know started jumping very regularly. And that brought me all over the country and eventually the world. Oh, that's really cool. Well, just a couple more questions on this, because it's, again, you know, when do I get to speak to a former skydiver? What was it like being in the wind tunnel versus uh, doing regular skydiving? Was it, did it prepare you or was it just a completely different experience? 
it definitely prepares you very much so, but it definitely is sensory overload, no matter what option you pick to do first. If you do indoor skydiving or outdoor skydiving, it really is the best way I could describe is kind of sensory overload and learning to be kind of calm in that storm, so to speak, um, really helps you Mm. to perform. So either or, they're both quite difficult. I would say skydiving is far more terrifying the first time you do it. Wind tunnel flying is far more difficult the first time you do it. There's strengths and weaknesses and pros and cons, if you will. Yeah, I only went skydiving once when I was 18, which was almost 30 years ago. And it was really cool. I remember, you know, we went up in the plane, but when they opened the door and the person before me went out, it looked like they were sucked away by a vacuum. And that made me really frightened. But, you know, we were doing tandem. There were someone's on your back, so there was no choice. It was like one, two, and then <laughs> um, it was fun flying. And then, but when I pulled the chute, it crunched my nuts. So I was, I just wanted to land after that. So I was like, Ugh, you know, you get yourself centered in those legs. Yeah, was, but it was, it was still a really <laughs> cool experience. So I, I did it once, but I, I'll never forget aspects of it. It was, it was really, really cool. It was weird. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good analogy that, that you used as far as when people are are getting out. It does seem like they're getting sucked out by a vacuum and that's when you know as a passenger or a new skydiver that's when the reality sets in the the hardest i mean obviously when you take off uh the reality reality sets in but once that door opens up and people start getting out and being sucked out uh at least it looks that way that's when it really hits home so yeah skydiving also as an instructor we would say no sounds a lot like go Strapped when your student's strapped in, but of course we wouldn't take anybody un- unwillingly. But it's a right, fun right, joke. Right. To be well, very cool. Oh, I would love to do a whole episode on that, but um, we'll have to get to the more somber aspects of it. So, what happened? Uh, how did your accident happen? And if you wouldn't mind, can can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, I mean, of course. Ironically enough, uh, my accident had nothing to do with skydiving. I was a passenger in a car accident in Abu Dhabi. And the timing was a little bit, no, there's never a good time for any, for, for a car accident to happen, but it was um, four days before I was supposed to leave Dubai. So I'd been working, living and working in Dubai for a year and a half. And then uh, four days before I was supposed to leave and join a fully sponsored skydiving team, this car accident took place. And it was in Abu Dhabi. We had um, worked with a lot of Navy SEALs and DOD, and they would train in the wind tunnel. And as a, you know, as a thank you, they took us for a range day. And it was on, sadly, on the way back from that range day is when we got into the car. Yeah, it sounds crazy. You, what, you broke your neck in 10 places? That's, that's pretty extreme. What happened then? Yeah. Yeah, it was a, so it was a single car accident. And um, we, we went up to the range, the military range. We took two cars. It was on the way back from that. I'd actually swapped vehicles. And the driver of the car was driving a little fast. He went to overtake the other vehicle didn't realize there was no more road left. So we came to an intersection that was poorly lit and it was due a left or right t- turn only. And we were doing at that point over 90 miles an hour. So we started to drift around the corner, didn't make it, dropped, dropped off the sand embankment down into the sand dune, launched off a sand dune. So the car became fully vertical, suspended in the air. And then it rolls towards the driver's side and lands dead flat on the roof. And okay. it was, thankfully, it was in the desert because the soft, that soft desert sand is what absorbed a lot of the impact, even though I was seatbelted belted in and, but I was still thrown over the top and land on my, landed on my head. So I was Jeez. very lucky, lucky that I didn't die right then and there. I was buried in the sand. So I was actually suffocating in the sand until the driver of the other vehicle that we passed 
actually came to the rescue and unburied me and pulled me out of the sand, even though they didn't want to move a potential spinal cord injury. But it was either let me suffocate then and there or take a chance. They took a chance and it took about an hour for the ambulance to come and find us in the desert. And then I spent about a month and a half in the hospital in Abu Dhabi. How did you, um, was the prognosis that you were finished or, you know, how did you recover from this? I mean, the doctors literally told me I'd never live an active lifestyle again. I believe his exact words where I should be thankful to live an average life doing normal things. I was in the hospital for a month and a half. They installed a halo traction device. It's basically a, a portable jail cell that's bolted to your skull and it holds your spine uh, in place. So you're not able to move because my spine was actually fully sublocked. So it was in two pieces completely. I, my head I was basically internally decapitated. Um, at the C5 and C6 level. So their priority as a surgeon, the surgeons were to stabilize the spine and then finger cro fingers crossed, hopefully that it would heal. And thankfully it did. Um, even that they, they gave me odds about 60% chances of, of healing, but they were thinking strongly I was going to need additional surgery, but thankfully I didn't. It healed and um, I'm still able to walk and use my limbs today. So I was, I was a very, very lucky on the outcome. Unlucky timing of the event. Very lucky on the outcome because I could be I could be dead in a wheelchair or you know have to use a colostomy bag every day. It, I mean, my life is it was drastically changed the trajectory, but I wake up every day with a sense of gratitude because it could be far worse. How did this translate into flock goods and um, you know talking about what the BBC said about the pandemic and all that stuff like? You know, keep moving forward. How long was your rehab and, and what did you do with your life after this happened? Hello, dear listeners. I want to tell you about a great podcast I've recently found and enjoyed. It's called Long Shot Leaders with Michael Stein. I like the edginess and the realism of the podcast. Stein interviews people who have overcome big-time obstacles to find success. He has top-notch guests, including Academy Award winners, ex-convicts, Holocaust survivors, sports heroes, you name it. Michael also has an interesting background. In fact, he's a bit of a renaissance man. He's an entrepreneur, a writer, an actor, a filmmaker, and a stand-up comedian. He puts all of this into the interview, including his heart and soul. So if you want to discover the secrets to why and how people do what they do, then listen in on your favorite podcast player by typing Long Shot Leaders with Michael Stein. So my whole life has been a continuous journey of rehabilitation ever since the event. And that was July 23rd, 2014. So all these years later, I'm still doing physical therapy exercises, still have to do, you know, stretching daily. I'm very cognizant of, of my nutrition, um, avoiding foods that cause excess inflammation. So there's many facets or there's many pieces to kind of what I deem the collective mall approach to wellness. And that's, you know, what I utilize as in full for rehab to this day. So it took about a year and a half to get back to the sport of skydiving after breaking my neck. And then I went really hard in the sport for another two years, uh, three years until I, you know, I've slowed down now to the point where I'm not working in the sport anymore. I am, you know, I just skydive for myself or fly in the wind tunnel for myself or for fun. And I'm thankful to be able to do that. So yeah, it's been, it's been a long road of of recovery. It never really yeah. ends. I think just implementing and, and creating a lifestyle around it is what helps, you know, to keep the consistency and just doing all the things that, that need to be done for, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I feel the drastically feel the effects of, of not doing physical therapy. And I'm sure, you know, many people 
just right. staring at our phones, our necks are sore. You know, you sleep the wrong way, your back, you know, physical therapy can help with a lot of that. But it takes a lot of time and effort and experience. And but how, how did you deal with the mental aspects of it? You know, I'm sure at some points you were depressed or despairing that you would ever have any kind of life again. What did you do to deal with oh, that a hundred, Oh, 100%. And, you know, full transparency I and mean, healing is not linear. It takes years and it's a process. It's a cycle. Uh, it ebbs and flows, you know, but at the end of the day, I think what helps to deal with, what helped me to deal with my trauma is acceptance and stubborn determination to not be a victim because it's, there's a really famous quote, I forget who, who, who it's from, but it really resonated hard when I heard it. And I like to use it a lot. It's um, fault is in the past. Responsibility is in the future. So no matter what, it's, it's about like, what am I going to do to make my life better now? And I decided oh, right when I woke up, I, I mean, I had, I had an emergency surgery, you know, about 12 hours after the car accident. And I woke up from surgery in the ICU and I told myself that I was not going to be a victim. This was not going to dictate the course of my life. I really just through stubborn determination. And then, of course, I'm a human, like all of us, you know, emotions, you know, our emotions are high one day, they could be low the next, um, but never allowing myself to get stuck in that lull for too long of a period of time, reminding myself to get up and, and, and be aggressive in the pursuit of my own wellness, because no one's going to do it for you. So you have to be your biggest, uh, biggest cheerleader for your own well-being and biggest fighter for your, your own wellness. I, well, I, I think adopting, I mean, right. that, adopting that fighting, that fighter, that warrior mentality and not, it's easy to be a victim and it's, uh, it takes a lot of courage and effort and strength to be, you know, an advocate for your own life. No, that's really fantastic that you decided that so quickly and you're not going to be a victim. That's really great. And that's probably what, uh, you know, was the thing you, you very much needed in order to get through this and not give into it, you know? Very much, man. Very much. And that's, that process worked for me. Everyone's different. But for me, it was just taking, you know, extreme ownership of my situation. And, you know, that was solidified also over time. Um, and, and quite honestly, my thought process and mentality was kind of that mental fortitude was really strengthened long before the, the accident, before that car accident, just becoming a licensed skydive because becoming a skydiver you are forced to face your fears it is terrifying to jump out of an aircraft let alone a tandem but then to jump out of an aircraft and be the sole person responsible for your health and wellness and safety and by doing that time and time again and proving to myself that i can handle it and i can perform in an emergency situation and i can make decisions on the fly when needed and execute that really kind of had already shaped and molded my mindset pre-injury. So when the injury happened, it was, this sucks, but what am I going to do about it? How am I going to face this? And I know I can, I can, you know, get through this because I had sharpened that, you know, self-reliance stick so long before through, through skydiving. So if you would tell me about Flock Goods and what you've done in the years since the accident. So Flock was really an organic, it really kind of came to fruition organically through that rehabilitative journey, because uh, there's so many layers of that. Uh, and it started with physical physical fitness um, and pushing yourself, willing yourself to do things that are extremely difficult physically builds mental fortitude. So that was kind of the next layer of it, That's physical fitness, mental health, nutrition, recovery, and incorporating that all into a lifestyle. And that's what I've dubbed and called the, the flock life. 
is just it's kind of an internal audit, if you will, to be, be able to tick all those boxes of um, areas in your life that you're working on and pursuing. And I took the term flock from skydiving, being my background was with skydiving. So flocking is one of the funnest things you can do uh, in the sport. And it was my favorite thing to do. Basically, you are a human meat missile and you're soaring across the sky. Uh, and you could maneuver yourself in many directions. But that's essentially what is called flocking. So taking that term and applying it to a brand, I wanted to create that level of excitement. And flock, by definition, means community and movement. And in order to make a true difference, you need assistance. So it was so fitting for what I wanted to do, which was build community and help people help themselves. And that's exactly what we've, we've done. And it just has snowballed from there. So it started with yeah. just sourcing and making products for myself, realizing how much those things had helped me, and then putting into and taking into account all of the other areas other than just taking a supplement, way more than just CBD or any given nutraceutical or food-based supplement that has medicinal value. It's about doing all the other, you know, and taking responsibility for your physical fitness, mental health, your nutrition all of these things and enhancing your life with the nutraceuticals, with the CBD in conjunction with the effort. So it's supplementation with extreme effort. And I think that's where I had the success and that's what, you know, I practice what I preach. So that's what I, you know, now market and teach to others in all of those areas, different health tips and how to's um, and daily things that you can implement into your life. And then, you know, we have products to support those things behind that. So block is really being a culmination of all those things and you know it started with me helping myself and then realizing it can help others and now we're we're here today we started in california i've reloc relocated to maine uh because i'm actually from the east coast originally and uh now that we're here rooted in maine it's been wonderful the the how we've been accepted and how we're we're now we've had you know we literally flocked across the country so it's again it's so appropriate what we're doing the name, you know, starting in San Diego and flocking all the way across the country to to now being in Maine. So what what yeah, are the uh, main, just main, my main products in the brand? What what are the main products that uh, that you guys make at Flock? So all of our products, they're all made with cannabinoid rich hemp extract, and there's different formulas for desired effect. We have nine different formulas. Um, they're all made with the same hemp extract, um, and then. You know, we have drops, we have capsules, we have gummies, we have topicals. I'd say right now, for last month, our best seller was our new topical. And it is, you know, amazing. We've got some really incredible reviews on it and customers are raving about the beneficial effects. So I'd, last month, that was our number one seller, but our drops are a really close second. So it changes from month to month, uh, from person to person. Uh, but we have something that's suitable for for pretty much everyone, and depending on what form they prefer, if they have a preference, quality is unmatched in comparison to any any other company in the U.S. We source very stringently, and, our, and all of our products are produced uh, using GMP, so good manufacturing practices. And um, yeah, we're really really proud with, of all our finished products. So it, it's hard to pick just one. Say last month. What other products are you contemplating or is there a demand for that you're going to start making? Um, our drops are, like I said, a, a close second 
bestsellers. And now that we're in Maine, we're also branching into the THC side as well. So we will be offering products with THC as well for Maine State residents and any individual that possesses a medical card um, from other states as well. We can accept for on the agenda for flock. Yeah, quick question. So I've seen CBD and in Texas here, they have, I guess, what's called Delta-8. It's like some other form of CBD or THC combined. Do you guys ever yeah. put out what's called Delta-8 or is it legal or what, what else is I out there? I have not put out Delta-8. I still, um, because it is manufactured synthetically, I'm still not convinced on what some of the residual things are in the product, if you look at COAs um, of Delta-8, I'm not thoroughly convinced on the safety and efficacy. So, I, no, I haven't been offering that yet. I just need more information before I'd be willing to distribute that to others. I'm not comfortable oh, distributing that yet. So I'm very, very much um, anything that I distribute to others, I will and do consume myself or would give to my mother. So I'm very, very strict. On that, so no, that's that's why we haven't um, gotten into the Delta Eight. Okay, but you do like the full spectrum CBD, and you have uh, things like that, right? You're gonna be introducing all of the full spectrum stuff. We actually now, yeah, we do all full spectrum products. I'm, I'm a wholehearted believer in full spectrum, whole plant, as being as less processed as possible, least processed as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, where can people uh, buy flock goods? They just go online, or their physical stores? Both. Um, we're in stores all over the country, but if you just Google search flock goods or just simply head to flockgoods.com, we're easy to find and we can ship products out to you whenever you order. You get them within a few days and we're happy to facilitate and take care of all of the CBD needs that you might have. Well, very good, Matt. You have an amazing story and I'm sure the products are very carefully thought of and sourced and uh, it would be really cool to get them. So I encourage people to check out Flock Goods. And uh, again, it was great speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.